All right, thanks, Tom and Jordan. All right, so uh, first Sunday of the month, every month, we have what we call All In. Our children are in here, and children, if you want to go to the tables in the back, you're welcome to do so. Uh, next Sunday, we kick off a new season of both our children's ministry and student ministries next Sunday over in the Student Center, and I'm super excited that we're all going to be looking at the same thing together, our children, our students, and us in this room together. We're starting next Sunday a series called Three Years with Jesus, and we'll be looking at different gospel texts from uh, September to May for the next three years, and our children and students are going to be looking at those texts, and so I'm thrilled that our whole church is going to be on this same journey together so that when you're at home, you can have conversations with your children about the things you're learning together. And when you're at coffee with a friend or when you're with your faith communities, uh, you can be talking about the things we're, we're learning together and journeying through. Uh, this, uh, more than anything, I don't want this to just be a Sunday morning experience. I want it to be something that infiltrates our lives throughout the week and that uh, permeates our very beings as we learn and discover more of who Jesus is and what it looks like to live the life that Jesus invites us into. So that we will start next week. And this week we're finishing a series on Solomon. So today's last day talking about Solomon. Solomon was a king of Israel. So first king of Israel was a guy named Saul. He didn't uh, work out and David became king. And then when David died, his son Solomon became king. And so we've been looking at the life of Solomon and who Solomon is and the things he did in his life and the things that uh, went on in his kingdom. And as we end this series this Sunday, I, I want to begin by us reflecting on a question. And that question is, someday after you have died, what do you want to be remembered for? Someday after you have died, what do you want to be remembered for? Do you, do you want to be remembered for the things you did, the things you accomplished, uh, the degrees you had, the wealth you accumulated? Or would you prefer to be remembered by your love, your kindness, your generosity? your gratitude. Uh, what, what do you want to be remembered for someday? And then secondly, who do you want to remember you? Who in your life would it be important for you to have good memories of you? And then lastly, uh, th then where are you investing your life? Where are you investing your energies and your life? Uh, Solomon is remembered for a few things. Solomon uh, is remembered as being a king of Israel. Solomon is remembered as the king who built the first temple for Israel's God. Uh, temple later destroyed, and a second temple was built, and that temple was later destroyed. But uh, Solomon is remembered for building what is called Solomon's Temple, the first temple. Solomon's remembered for building his palace. Solomon's remembered for asking God for wisdom, asking God for a wise and discerning heart, asking God for a listening heart. 
So Solomon is remembered for a number of uh, interesting and, and uh, some of them very good things. Um, Solomon is remembered for his wealth. Uh, as we read through 1 Kings, the narrator every now and then drops hints about Solomon, about things that he would not be remembered well for. And ultimately, the story of Solomon ends uh, not so good in terms of how Solomon finished his life. Uh, I think Solomon is a lot like us in that he's a, he's a muddied guy. Uh, a lot of good, a lot of bad. Uh, a lot of motives that are, are drawn out of love and a lot of motives that come out of fear. A, a lot of uh, self-absorption self and, and a desire to give of oneself. Uh, there, are, there are these things that the narrator points to that ultimately lead us to 1 Kings 11 where we see the end of Solomon's story. Uh, and the first one came in 1 Kings 5. It's when uh, Solomon was building the temple and it said, and the narrator just drops this in, King Solomon conscripted laborers from all Israel, 30,000 men. Uh, and so Solomon forced his own people to help build this temple. And then there were other people living in the land, not just Hebrew people, other people, descendants of people who had lived in the land before. And uh, in 1 Kings 9, it said Solomon conscripted the descendants of all these people remaining in the land to serve as slave labor. Uh, Solomon was a slave driver. And this is how he built the temple. This is how he built the palace. He forced people to do so. Uh, last summer when we looked at the life of David, uh, we talked about when Israel asked for a king and, and God said, don't ask for a king. You don't want a human king. And they said, yes, we do. We want to be like all the other nations. We want a king. Give us a king. And finally God relented because sometimes God gives us what we want, even when it's not God's best for us. And the people wanted a king, even though it wasn't best for them. But God warned them. And God said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve. He will take your daughters. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. Uh, God warned them that this would happen. And, and it has happened under Solomon. And it'll continue to happen under other kings that Israel sees. Uh, this is one of the things Solomon is remembered for. And then the thing that was ultimately Solomon's downfall in 1 Kings chapter 11. It said, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edom, Edomites, Sidians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord told Israel, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely churn your heart after other gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. Uh, interestingly, that term held fast, it's, it's a term in Hebrew that is used elsewhere in the Hebrew scriptures about God, that we are called to hold fast 
to God. And here, at the end of Solomon's days, he is holding fast to foreign wives who have turned him to other gods. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. What? Uh, yeah. 700 wives of royal birth. So uh, most scholars believe that, um, yes, uh, Solomon was misogynistic. Uh, but beyond that, uh, that these were political arrangements. Solomon was, uh, he had political arrangements with all these other nations because he wanted to secure his throne. And one way to do that is to marry princesses of other kings. And so Solomon, 700 wives, 300 concubines. And his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. And uh, ultimately what the narrator is talking about there is that D David did not worship other gods. Uh, and Solomon did. Uh, key phrase in here. Uh, Solomon's heart was turned. Um, the scriptures talk about the idea of repentance. Uh, a guy named John the Baptist came talking about repentance. Jesus came preaching repentance. Repentance simply means to turn. And, and so what Solomon did was he was worshiping Israel's God and he turned. Uh, a bad form of repentance, if you will. He turned, his heart turned towards other gods. What, what Jesus comes preaching, when Jesus comes preaching repentance, he's inviting us to turn. We're, we're walking one way and Jesus says, follow me. Follow me instead. Uh, what, what are you walking after? What is your heart turned towards? Uh, what are you giving your heart to? What are you giving your life to? Uh, obviously, we don't have the gods of Ashtoreth or Molech in our culture, but there are plenty of other gods, aren't there? There are plenty of other things that our heart can turn towards. What is your heart turned towards? Because Jesus invites us into a way of living that is the best possible way to live. That the invitation from Jesus to live as he taught us to live it isn't an invitation of trying to make us feel guilty or shameful for the things that our heart may be turned towards. It's an invitation to experience a kind of life that is so much better than the things the world invites our heart to be turned towards. Uh, we're simply invited to live into who we were created to be from the beginning of time. That we were created for something so much bigger than ourselves. And when our hearts are turned 
turned towards things that we get self-absorbed in. And the things we try to accumulate and the accomplishments we try to have on our resume. These aren't bad things per se, but when our heart is turned towards them rather than the life we have been invited into, something has gone desperately wrong. For Solomon, something has gone desperately wrong. His heart has turned away from the best possible life that God created for him and to other gods. The gods of the age for us are going to constantly be calling our name. The gods of consumerism, the gods of busyness, the, the gods of fear, the gods of do, 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 rather than allowing ourselves to stop, reflect, and simply ask God, what is your best for me? Uh, the, the things that we pile on to our life, are they God's best for you? Because so many of them uh, can really be seen as good things, right? There are so many good things to be involved in, to do extracurricular activities, so many good things for your children to be doing. I wonder if a simple test on these things would be helpful. What if we reflected on these things that we have the opportunity to do, the the added things, uh, whether work-wise or school-wise or family-wise or you name it, social-wise. What if each opportunity that came along, we simply stopped and said, will this turn my heart more towards God? or not? Will this turn my heart more towards God? Or will it bring more stress, more anxiety, more worry? Or, or fill in the blank, will it bring more what? Uh, will it turn my heart more towards God? And will it do in me something that helps me become more and more who God created me to be. Uh, Sometimes these things uh, have to do with an inner disposition. Some of these things we should engage with and uh, we are called to, but if our inner disposition is one of complaint or contempt or uh, guilt or obligation to do it, then it's not going to turn our hearts toward God. But if the inner disposition is centered on God and God's heart for us, it may turn our hearts more towards God. Uh, What is your heart turned towards? Uh, The first commandment was you shall shall have no other gods before you. And, And at the end of Solomon's life, he had turned his heart toward other gods. Um, The call on Israel was to be a light 
to the world. Uh, can I have that slide with the four Egypt, Sinai, Jerusalem, exile? Uh, the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. And God brought them out of slavery to the mountain, Mount Sinai, where he spoke to them as one speaks to their children. And he called them his children. And he, he gave them teachings. He gave them a way of living that was the best possible way to live. And then he brought them into... Israel and the kingdom set up in Jerusalem to be a light. The, the call on Israel was always to be a light to the nations, to care for the oppressed, to care for the poor, to shine the light of the God of Israel out to the nations. And ultimately, Israel failed in that vocation and they went into exile. I wonder if we put ourselves in to this system and think about our own Egypt and our own encounters with God uh, and where God has brought us into. What, what has God called you to do? Uh, when I think about the church in America and the, the wealth and the power and what we can do with that for the good of the world. Will we be a light to the world? Will we care for the oppressed? Will we care for the poor? Will we care for those on the underside of power? Or are we living in an exile of irrelevance? Uh, Solomon had all this power in Jerusalem, all this power uh, in one place, and he was invited to use it for good. And what happened in part of Solomon's life is he and Israel, in a sense, became Egypt. Solomon enslaved people to build a temple and a palace. How soon we forget our past. Solomon forgot we were brought out of slavery in order to be a light. And now in his power, he enslaved others. Uh, what are our own pet projects worth? And what do they cost those in our lives? How do they affect the people in our lives? when we have a pet project that just has to get done. Uh, how do you want to be remembered? And who do you want to be remembered by? And in what ways are you investing your life in that? Uh, Jesus, in Luke chapter 12, Verse 13, someone comes up to Jesus, and there's a crowd around, and uh, this fellow said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Uh, 
So in the first century, this isn't going to happen. Uh, older brother is going to get way more than younger brother here. It seems like a younger brother is coming to Jesus and not too happy with that arrangement. And so he sees Jesus as uh, someone who seems just and fair and right. And so he comes to Jesus and says, hey, you tell him. You tell him to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Uh, this is just one area of life that can so often grab hold of us, can't it? Our desire for more. It's as if we so often believe we never have enough. When, when is enough enough? Uh, what would it look like to live with a theology of enough? I, I have enough, and I can give more away because I actually have more than enough. Uh, life consists of so much more than our own pet projects. Life consists of so much more than our accumulations. Life consists of so much more than what we possess in this life. Uh, what, what do you want those who remember you to possess as they remember you? Uh, <coughs> last week, I was... Uh, doing some studying, and I came across this uh, eulogy that the daughter of Ronald Reagan gave for her dad. Uh, I don't know what you think of Ronald Reagan, uh, or his policies, or his presidency, or any of that. Uh, I'm not really concerned about that. What I was struck by was how his daughter remembered him. Uh, she didn't say anything about his presidency in her eulogy. This is what she said about her dad. My father never feared death. He never saw it as an ending. When I was a child, he took me out into a field at our ranch after one of the Malibu fires had swept through. I was very small, and the field looked huge and lifeless. But he bent down and showed me how tiny new shoots were peeking up out of the ashes just weeks after the fire had come through. You see, he said, new life always comes out of death. It looks like nothing could ever grow in this field again, but things do. He was the one who generously offered funeral services for my goldfish on the morning of its demise. We went out into the garden and we dug a tiny grave with a teaspoon and he took two twigs and lashed them together with twine and formed a cross as a marker for the grave. And then he gave a beautiful eulogy. He told me that my fish was swimming in the clear blue waters in heaven and he would never tire and he would never get hungry, and he would never be in danger, and he could swim as far and wide as he wanted, and he never had to stop because the river went on forever. He was free. When we went back inside and I looked at the remainder of my goldfish in the aquarium with their pink plastic castle and their colored rocks, I suggested that perhaps we should kill the others so that they also, <laughs> they also could go to that clear blue river and be free. He then took more time out of his morning, I'm sure he actually did have other things to do that day, 
and patiently explained to me that in God's time, the other fish would go there as well. In God's time, we would all be taken there. And even though it sometimes seemed a mystery, we were just asked to trust that God's time was right and wise. I don't know why Alzheimer's was allowed to steal so much of my father before releasing him into the arms of death, but I know that at his last moment, when he opened his eyes, eyes that had not opened for many, many days, and looked at my mother, he showed us that neither disease nor death can conquer love. <clears throat> That's how she remembered her dad. I found it uh, quite remarkable that an opportunity to give a eulogy in front of national television, uh, she chose to talk about how her dad invested in her life. Not his global or national accomplishments, but how he invested in her life. Uh, when we come to this table and we take the bread and dip it in the cup, what we remember is Jesus. We don't remember him as a wealthy man. We don't remember him as uh, this huge global figure. What we remember is that uh, he came in the flesh. This God came in the flesh in Jesus and lived a simple life and gave us teachings, taught us how to live, uh, showed us how to live, uh, told brilliant stories, encountered people where they were at, from the lowest of the low, the disease, the prostitutes, the, the outcasts, uh, to the upper echelon of Roman centurions that he encountered and showed love and kindness to. Uh, this Jesus is who we remember. Uh, we remember that ultimately he died, that he went to the cross to show us what suffering really looks like, this self-giving love for the sake of the world. We remember that this Jesus died on behalf of the world. And, and we remember, as Ronald Reagan's daughter said, that after the Malibu fires, tiny green shoots came out, that life always comes from death. And we remember that death, the cross, is not the end of the story. Life sprung forth, and Jesus conquered death and offers us that kind of life. Whatever death experiences you've had in your life, life can spring forth from it. Jesus offers us the best possible way of living. Jesus comes to offer us life, abundant life, that even in the midst of hurt, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of heartache, there is life. By God's Spirit living in us, the Spirit of Jesus that offers us a different way of being in the world, a different way of being present to people, a different way of responding, a different way, the way of love, the way of forgiveness, the way of kindness, the way of joy, the way of peace, uh, the way of hope and healing. And so this morning, as you come and partake of the bread and the cup, I, I simply want to invite you 
to remember Christ and ask yourself, how do I want to be remembered? And how might God be inviting me to realign the way I invest my life in order to be remembered that way? And to live more fully into the person God has created you to be. God, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you that we remember that he loved us so much he was willing to give his life. God, may we be a people who long to give you our lives and to give our lives to the things you have created us for. Turn our hearts more and more towards you. God, fill us with your spirit and give us a greater capacity than ever before to carry your love and your light and your life into the world. That you would enliven our spirits by your spirit and, and allow that light and life and love to flow out of us to each person we encounter. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.